Well, hey, we are in our second week in the book of Malachi as a church. Um, if, this is, if this is your first or near to your first time at Gospel Church, this might be a... It, there's potential that this is a foreign thing for you because different churches do this differently. Um, but as a church at Gospel Church, we tend to go through books of the Bible uh, to guide how we teach and where, where we live. Um, and we, we intentionally often do books of the Bible that people haven't heard taught through before because we believe that all of the scriptures are God-breathed. And they are good to teach us and to instruct us and to build us up into who God has called us to be. And they're good to show us Christ who said that all of the scriptures ultimately pointed to him. So we're in this uh, passage in Malachi chapter 2 today. It's our shortest passage of this series. We're doing, we're doing four parts walking through this book of Malachi leading up to our Advent series. This is our, this is our pre-Advent series. Uh, and we do that because Malachi is this book, the final book of the Old Testament, saturated in, in both the downcastness of the people. That's not a word. I just made it up, but it'll do at the time, but also in the hope of what God's going to do. It leads into the silent years after Malachi and before the coming of Jesus, where there's this question lingering in the air. The promises have been given uh, by Malachi, by Isaiah, by all the prophets uh, throughout the Old Testament, the promise of a, of a promised seed to come, a son to come, a saviour to come, and and. Where's this all leading? And Malachi leads us into that. And then as we step into December, we're going to step into what came next. Uh, but this passage, like I said, is our shortest in this series. And what it lacks in length, it makes up for in content. So just be aware, we're not, like, like you might have heard that Bible reading, and if you're an intent listener, you might have like a list of questions that you're putting together, and we're not going to hit all of them today. So if you want to come and have a talk to me about any of those afterwards, please feel free to do so. But just to remind, or, or for those who weren't here to, to bring you up to speed, uh, last week um, we looked at how Israel was worshipping God, but half-heartedly at this time. Specifically, the priests were not worshipping God with their whole hearts. The people who were called to mediate between God and the people and were called to lead the people to worship God were only half-hearted uh, in their worship of him themselves. And so the people were not led to worship him with their whole hearts as a whole. And we looked at how that failing fills us with the expectation of the greater priest and the greater sacrifice, Jesus, who was to come. Well, this week, uh, we're, going, uh, we're looking at this, this shortest passage in Malachi, and, and here we see something of a specific outworking of the half-hearted worship that we saw last week, a community that was riddled with unfaithfulness. And what we're, what we're going to get is both a call toward living out the creational pattern of God's people, living in faithful relationship with him, faithful relationship with each other, and faithful witness to the world. But before we get to that specifically, there, there are, we should say, there's, there's kind of, I believe there are two levels at which we should read this passage of the Bible. Um, if, if we're going to get the most out of it. Uh, it gives us 
a very clear message about what it most immediately appears to be about. Like if you, if you read this passage and I asked you in one word, what's that about? You would probably say marriage, right? Like, like it comes up pretty steadily throughout and, and, and God's love for marriage. But what we'll see is there is actually another level. There's a deeper level at which we need to read this. And that is to be, is, is to see the pattern that is working out, how that pattern fits into the history of salvation and how it applies to us as a people today. But first, you really, if, if, if we don't talk about marriage, we've, we've just skipped this passage. So um, it's funny, we've dug into four books of the Bible this year uh, as, a, as a church. Uh, we've, we've gone through Ephesians, Haggai, 1 Corinthians, and, and I mean, this is our fourth, Malachi. Um, and, and three out of four of those books heavily emphasize, um, by no orchestration on my part of planning this, uh, marriage. They, they talk heavily about it. Uh, Ephesians, 1 Corinthians, and Malachi, both... Uh, all three of them have a, have a fairly significant look at this. And, and you could list a whole bunch of reasons for that, for why there's this emphasis on marriage throughout the Bible. Uh, you know, marriage is the building block of society. Marriage is good for people and for the raising of children. And marriage is a part of the order of creation. And all of those things are true. But the critical reason that we've seen, the, the reason at the center of the reasons, the reason that drives the others... Is, is plastered across Scripture and perhaps nowhere more clear than we saw it back in Ephesians 5, if you were with us earlier this year, where Paul explicitly connects the marriage relationship of a man and a woman to the relationship between Christ and his people, the church. The story of salvation is a love story. The story of a king who will save and redeem his wife. It's the story of a son who will give his life for his bride to be free and to return to him. It's the story of a groom who leads her in tender, patient love and a bride who will follow him out of sin and into the light of his presence forever because of all of his grace to her. That's why Paul, in that passage in Ephesians 5 that we looked at earlier this year, just to jog some memories here, he quotes from, uh, from Genesis chapter 2. He quotes from creation. And he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He quotes from the, marriage, the moment that marriage was founded. And he says, This mystery is profound. Marriage is a profound mystery. If you're married, you can probably echo that uh, some days more than others. Marriage is a profound mystery, but he says, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So God cares about marriage because marriage is a gift given to reflect the one true marriage. The, tr the love story between Jesus and his bride, his church. And for this reason, we read these very serious words here in Malachi. God condemns his people because of how they are treating marriage. He gives two specific condemnations. He, he condemns them first because they are, they are marrying outside of the faith. Uh, he says, uh, you know, notice there's nothing racial about what he says. Um, 
we heard it read before in, in the ESV. He, it, it translates it fairly word for word as um, they've married the daughter of a foreign god. Um, the, the, the issue is that the Israelite men, they're marrying women who don't worship the one true God. God's objection is that they are marrying outside of the faith. It's a huge problem when a follower of God, a follower of Jesus, chooses to marry, to bind themselves for life to someone who does not follow the one true God. We'll look at that um, some more in a moment, but the other issue is that they were divorcing their faithful wives. Uh, quite possibly, the men were divorcing their God-fearing wives in order to marry these, these women who worship other gods. Um, this isn't the only place where this comes up. Uh, this seems to be kind of a, a, one of those record scratch moments in, in the post-exile group, like Ezra and Nehemiah and Malachi all bring this up as an issue, that they were um, divorcing their wives and, and, and marrying outside of the faith. This isn't the only place. The New Testament gives a, a very limited list of justifications, of, of, of grounds for divorce. And the reason for that is that God hates divorce. And God hates divorce because marriage reflects the never-ending love of his son for his church. In fact, God says that he will not bless his people here. He says no matter how much they cry out to him at the altar, because he was witness between the men and their wives when they made their marriage covenant, and their unfaithfulness to that covenant means that he will not bless them in the covenant that he has with them. It's that serious. You know, sometimes, sometimes we think that, that marriage is a, a light kind of thing. Sometimes we treat it that way. Um, you know, and then we get to things like this, where God tells the Old Testament people of God, you know, I'm not going to bless you because you're not faithful in your covenant to your wife. Or we get to things like 1 Peter 3, where God says that their prayers won't be heard because they are not treating their wives rightly. It's that serious. You know, last week, as we stepped into Malachi, we compared the situation of Israel in Malachi's day and the situation of the church in Australia today. Uh, we, we use the words marginalized and minimized, and so apathetic and lethargic. And the question which is tempting for both Christians today and Israelites then to ask, which, which we looked at, is has God forgotten us? We sit on the edges of society. We, we, we're not on the cultural spotlight. Has God forgotten us? For them, you know, they, they sat under the thumb of a giant empire that, that didn't care a hoot for God. Had God forgotten them? And yet when we look at marriage, this union which God has made very clear he cares deeply about, and which he has given as a gift, and so it is a thing, a, a thing we should take seriously. Something, even marriage is a thing that we should take as something of a barometer right, of how, for how seriously we're taking God's will for us. Because he said he takes this thing seriously, and so if you look at God's people and they don't take it seriously, well, that gives you a fair measure of how seriously they take God. When we look at how marriage is treated in the church at large today, particularly like the Australian church, rather than asking, has God forgotten us, 
we might ask, have we forgotten God? <laughs> have we forgotten what God takes seriously? Have we forgotten that he has called us to be holy because he is holy? Words, once again, spoken in the Old Testament, echoed in First Peter for the people of God today. Have we forgotten his faithfulness, which drives us to be a faithful people? Perhaps one reason the church struggles along so much today is that we have stopped taking seriously what God takes seriously. Marriage being kind of the, the case point, the barometer, like we said. I mean, when we've reached a point when there are groups within the church, the Australia, or groups that call themselves the church in Australia that hold that marriage doesn't even need to be between a man and a woman, Right? We know that things are at kind of disaster point. But, but you know, that, that's not the end of the issue. It's, it's very easy for us to kind of go, ha there are churches out there that hold marriage not to be between a man and a woman. They're the ones that don't take it seriously. But let's, let's be honest, that's kind of, if the line's here, that's down there somewhere, right? Do you get the point? Um, biblically, one man and one woman is, is a given. It's, it's, it's almost like... It's almost assumed. God takes seriously the call to marry wisely. To marry a person who takes him seriously. Your marriage is, is called to reflect Christ and the church. How can you do that if you don't even if, if one of you doesn't even believe in Christ? God takes seriously the call to be faithful to your spouse. He he takes your promise of excluding all others very seriously because he is faithful to his church and his church is to be faithful to him. Jesus takes seriously his love for his bride. He tenderly cares for his bride, the church. He provides for her. He spiritually leads her and leads their offspring in. He takes seriously the need for Christian husbands to do the same. God takes marriage seriously. And if we wish to see him glorified here, his kingdom grow here, then, then so must we. But then, like I said, uh, there, are, there are two levels, right, of this passage, which we need to approach this at. So, so one is that we look at marriage, and we've done that now. Um, hello again, Ted. Fun aside, when Crystal's up here, he just wants to get to her. When I'm up here, he just wants to be with me. I think he just loves the stage. <laughs> Two levels. All right, everyone, recenter. Come on. Forget the cute baby. Don't forget the cute baby. It's impossible. But, but for now, work with me here. So on one hand, it's looking at marriage. But on the other, we are looking at a pattern that works out uh, here which fits into salvation history and applies very strongly to us. What happens here is that through Malachi, God links the vertical relationship of God's people with God to the horizontal relationships that they have with each other. And he says, you can't have that, this well without that well. Do you, do you see that in verse 10 there? He says, have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we, are we faithless to one another? You know, 
Philip, I don't know what translation you're reading, but I think it translated that as betraying one another. And that, that's a valid way of translating this passage. Why do we betray one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Do you see the connection? He says, we have this relationship with God. He's father to us. He's creator to us. He made us as a people. Why are we faithless to one another? That can't work. Those things don't line up. The answer is what we saw last week, right? They're not engaged with the, in their relationship with God. And because they're half-hearted in their worship of God, they're half-hearted in their faithfulness to one another. This is why, this is why the marriage problems were there, right? The, the root problem, remember, marriage is the barometer. Unfaithfulness was throughout the community. Now, there's more here, but just pause here for a second because there's a fundamental biblical pattern on display here. One of the fundamental lies that we believe is on display, and likewise, one of the fundamental truths of human flourishing is on display. The fundamental lie is this, that I can have a good, godless life. The lie at the very heart of all sin, in fact, I would argue, that we can have a good, godless life. That we can flourish without him. Isn't that the lie that Adam and Eve believed right at the start there, right? When they looked at the fruit and they thought, you know, God's given me a way to live, a way for it to be good, a way that he's told me it's going to work in, it's going to flourish in this way, but I think I can be wise and complete and do it my way instead. I don't need him. I can have it good without him. And instantly, what do we see? Like in that narrative, in Genesis 2 and 3, right? As soon as they eat and God comes and speaks to them, what happens? They turn on God and they turn on each other immediately. She made me do it is an okay way of rendering what Adam says. A better way, actually, in fact, is, is the woman that you gave me made me do it. See how he's blaming him and her? Like, he's just like, it's everyone's fault but mine. <laughs> Isn't that the same lie that we believe every time that we sin? When you tell a lie because you know God calls us to be, to be radically honest, but, but, you know, it's better my way. It's going to hurt too many people for me to just be honest. It's going it's to, that's going to cause too much hubbub. That's going to be bad. It's going to be good this way. I can have a good godless life in this moment. Are we really believing there that we can have it good without God? Yet here's the truth. Here's the biblical pattern. The place that human relationships flourish. The place in which we are most faithful to one another, where we find most joy in our relationships with one another. The place in which we we where our marriages and our parenting and our friendships and our workplace relationships and where our housemate relationships and all of our relationships are faithful, the place where humans flourish, where we exist healthily, is when the divine relationship is healthy. 
Again, this is what we see in creation, right? Before the fall, God creates a people who are perfectly at peace in, a pl- in the place that he's put them, and they are perfectly at peace with him, and so they are perfectly at peace with each other. Adam and Eve have this perfect marriage before the fall because they have a perfect relationship with their creator until it goes awry. until their relationship with him breaks, and so their relationship with each other breaks. This is why it is so selfless, so generous, that God works to bring a people to himself. It can be tempting sometimes to say, oh, come on, God, why why do you need me to do so much? But, like, that's not how it works. He doesn't need us. Here's a humbling reality. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. I could have a heart attack right now and God would just go on doing what God does and his plans would be done and I, like, I, I'm, I'm just not that important. I hope I don't, by the way, but um, let's put that out there. Uh, but, but we need him. He's perfect without us, but we are broken without him. To have anything right at all We need our relationship with him to be right. And that's what we see happen in Jesus. Jesus comes down and he makes us right with God. Everyone walks in sin, but Jesus, through his death on the cross, pays the price for sin. And so he restores us relationally to God through faith in him. He opens the way for us to have relationship with God. And by the Spirit's power, he makes us able to live out that relationship well. And as we take the new relationship with God seriously, our relationships with one another are mended. In Jesus, there is power for reconciliation between people. Did you know this? Power for the flourishing of human relationships, the likes of which you know, we just don't see. We don't, that doesn't exist anywhere else outside of him. Ephesians chapter 2, 13 to 14, says that Jesus, by his blood, brought both Jews and Gentiles. Two people groups, okay, two people groups who were at terrible odds. Like there was blood in that relationship for a long time. And, And by the blood of Jesus, they're brought near to God. And so he broke down the dividing wall of hostility between them in his flesh by the death of Jesus, by the reconciliation to God that they have through Jesus, they're reconciled to one another within the church, within the people of God. Isn't that amazing? He restores them to God and so restores them to each other. He reconciles their vertical relationship and so he gives power to reconcile their horizontal relationships. Did we know this? I mean, this isn't the first time we've seen this, but do you realise this? It's, it's very tempting in the church to just leave things, to just let division exist, but we don't have to. We have a God who reconciles us to one another. Within the body of Christ, there is power for reconciliation. The gospel by which you are drawn near to God also enables you to draw near to one another for us to do that, church. 
because our unity with God gives us a unity with one another that is so much greater than any divisions we might have. Maybe, maybe you have a brother or sister in the faith that you've always been at odds with. I mean, maybe there's this tension and brokenness even in your marriage. I, I don't know. And maybe you've been thinking that that's just the way it has to be, just the way it is. But it's not. The gospel that reconciles you and that other person to God also has power to reconcile you to one another. Do you believe it? You can go and you can say, hey, we've got this big difference. I feel like I've always had beef with you and I feel like you've got it with me. But, but we've got more in common than we have apart. Let's work through this. Let's trust that Jesus is more than our division. And actually, it's so important that the people of God do step into the reconciliation of the gospel, into the love for one another that the Bible calls us to again and again and again. If you want a long reading list, go on an electronic Bible and write one another in. It's so important because it's not just for the sake of you that we are to have restored horizontal relationships. It's not just for the sake of you. It's not just for the sake of that other person. Come back to this passage with me one more time. Because God puts one more layer of purpose over all of this. In verse 15, he asks, what was the one God seeking? When he sought for you to have right relationship with him and therefore faithfulness with one another, what was the one God seeking? On one level, what was the one God seeking when he called you towards godly marriage? But at the same time, what was the one God seeking when he called you to be relationally faithful to one another? Because you are relationally at peace with him. What was he seeking? He was seeking godly offspring. This is actually part of that biblical pattern that we see from creation right through to the end. And, and we do, we see it in creation. God is making a people for himself so that they might multiply. God is reconciling people to one another. He is restoring our relationship to him and so restoring our relationships to one another within the kingdom of God so that we might go and bring more into that kingdom. In the beginning, God creates man and woman. It's funny, actually, through the sermon, I didn't plan this, but we've gone Genesis 3, Genesis 2, and now we're in Genesis 1, right? God creates the man and the woman, Genesis 1. He creates them in his image. And, and you can draw all sorts of things from that, but one of the things you can definitely draw is that they are perfectly at peace with him. They're in line with who he's made them to be, and they know him, and they display him. He makes them in his image, and then what does he tell them to do? Be fruitful and multiply. As our vertical relationship is made right, and as we step into the reconciliation and health that is ours in our, relation, our horizontal relationships within the church, God uses that transformation, that beautiful otherworldly reconciliation to display to the world his love and so to bring in godly offspring. You know, it's funny, in... It, in, in Genesis 1 and in, and in the Old Testament throughout, it's usually referenced in a way that is like, 
breeding. <laughs> and you get to the New Testament, and, and the kingdom of God, the, the, the covenant community, ceases just to be one group in one place and becomes a thing that will spread across the globe, and it becomes a call, make disciples. Jesus said, all men will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. Your vertical, your restoration in vertical relationship and horizontal relationship, your stepping into that reconciliation is a missional thing. It's a, it's, it, it, in a sense, it is an evangelistic thing. It is a thing which radically says to the world that there is a God who reconciles what the world cannot reconcile and that it is good to be with him. So let me challenge you today. How can you practice the power of the gospel this week by embracing the relationships God has given you? Maybe, maybe for you it is that brother or sister that you are just constantly butting into. And maybe you need to just sit down and recognise that you have difficulties with each other, but that the gospel that unites you is more than what divides you. Don't settle for the peace that is just the absence of war. God offers something better. Have the peace with one another that comes through peace with God. Perhaps you've been living in a marriage situation where there are issues and you both know it. Perhaps it's time to sit down and recognise that and to seek the healing of the gospel there, to seek some godly counsellors, some people who can walk through that with you. Invite in brothers and sisters, some mature believers to guide you in loving one another better. Perhaps for some, it's just that we don't have the relationship with God yet. The vertical is not fixed, so the horizontal can't be. You know, that can change today. By turning from the brokenness of your past, by trusting in Jesus, by saying, Lord, I've run, but now I want to run to you. Be my Lord. Lead me to trust. I trust in your work to save me. I want you to reign in my life. If, if that's you, you can be reconciled today. It's, it's, it's the most important relationship there is. It's the only place where the rest of your life can flourish. Even though there are hard times, even though there are challenges, even though you work through brokenness, true flourishing only happens when he is in your life. Would you pray with me? We're going to pray that God would would step into our lives with reconciling grace, with the grace of the gospel, and lead us to see that beautiful flourishing in relationships that he offers in the gospel. God, we, humanity, we individually, We're a broken and divided people without you. We had no power to see reconciliation. We had no power to see health and flourishing in our relationships. 
and we had no power to get back to you. But Lord, by your mercy alone, you came down. We saw in the cross, God is for us. Though we deserve nothing by your grace, we know that there is the God of the universe who loves us, who has reconciled us to himself. And Lord, we trust you. I pray for anyone who has not put their trust in you that today would be the day. That they would be able to turn to you in prayer now and just pray that simple prayer, Lord, I trust you to save me. I've run from you, but now I want to run to you. Save me, Lord, by your grace. For all who've trusted, Lord, I pray that you would be at work this week, today, in our lives, bringing the restoring power of the gospel that brings us back together, that knits together humanity how you made us to be. And Lord, make us a people who bring that reconciliation and that restoration with God and with one another to others as well. Make us a gospel-formed people who carry out the good news, who carry out the word of our God. And by your spirit, bring in the lost and restore people to what you made them to be. We pray it all in the beautiful name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen.